Hi, this is George Thorogood, and you're listening to Verbal Shenanigans. But our shenanigans are cheeky and fun. Yeah, I mean, his shenanigans are cruel and tragic. Which makes them not shenanigans at all, really. Evil shenanigans. I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans. Everybody, welcome on back to the Verbal Shenanigans podcast. Um, I would say we are uh, climbing towards our, our, our next milestone, Mike, which would be, I guess, 450. Do you, is that an accomplishment? I mean, every episode's an accomplishment, but I mean, 450 is not a celebratory number. I would say the next one would be 500 by rule. I mean, we didn't do anything for 350 or yeah, yeah, 150. Yeah, I think, uh, but we did celebrate 50 pretty hard. I mean, we had 50, yeah. 50 candles. We had uh, <laughs> numerous guests uh, give us the thank yous <laughs> and congratulations. Congratulations where you had to remind them what they're congratulating us for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that weird? And like, still screwing it up. Isn't that weird? Like, 50 seemed kind of big. And then you celebrate on the hundreds, but now I feel like the next milestone really is until like five hundred, and then after that, I don't think six, seven, eight, nine hundred are milestones. Isn't that weird? I, I it weird? It becomes like five hundred, and then a thousand becomes the milestone. Yeah, I guess it's like untapped beer badges. It's just a very specific number. You can't get a celebratory victory when you're in between that. I mean. I guess, I mean, you don't do something special, but you can still put up, just hit 600, just hit 700. Yeah. Like 750 sounds like a break point where you could celebrate that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so let's see, 250 episodes. So another like six years or so will be is our next milestone. After yeah, your son will be proud of you. <laughs> Either that or say you ignore me, Dad. Yeah, One of the two will occur. Yeah, I'm sure he'll have my um, my wife's reaction to when I tell her we got good things coming up, and she's like, "You're still doing this thing? You're <laughs> you're you're leaving the family from the living room for what again? Who are you interviewing? A a bowler from Wisconsin? Really cool, really cool. But babe, he holds the record for most left-handed strikes. He did it all night long." Yeah, it was back in 89 and all. Now he's a real scumbag, but we, we just got his email reply now, so we're like, let's go for it. Who'd you say the biggest scumbag we interviewed on this podcast was? I There's there's two that come to mind in, in my the, head. I mean, I know we're both going to say the obvious answer, which is uh, from Squid Game. Yes. Uh, Jeffrey Giuliano. Yeah. Um, you like, know, literally, he has like our podcast up on his YouTube. I, I saw that the other day. Really? Yes. Oh, but you think you still listen? <laughs> well, I mean I, I mean, I don't know if he's coming back on again, but you know, yeah, I mean, that guy was two is eventually coming, if, unless Netflix folds beforehand. But. That that guy was, um, he was play. He was the Squid Game character that he was, <laughs> like a yeah, total he, piece of crap. He was making like borderline like pedophilia like jokes and we're like uh, i don't know if that was a joke i somewhat feel like 
he wasn't even an actor. Like he walked on the set being that scummy and like, they're just like, what do we do? I don't know. We'll just write in the script. This is odd. Yeah, Let's yeah. go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he's by all the young actors. What should we throw him in the in the show? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Boss, uh, some guy came on set in a robe and he just he's butt naked and he's asking somebody for a BJ. <laughs> oh, okay, well we'll we'll record it. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and I would say the 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 guy from Bronx Tale wasn't the exactly the uh, the the beacon of beacon of light of. Uh, not being a dirtbag there. Which one was that? Uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Lilo Broncado. He he was um, oh, okay. He played Calogero in um, Bronx Tale, and yeah, he's on The Sopranos a little bit too. Yeah, yeah. I, I performed with him like a couple weeks before. That's kind of how I I think I initiated the um, getting him. But he's the one who went to jail. They shot someone. He kind of got off. He said it wasn't him. They broke into someone's house. A uh, little suspect there. Yeah, I, those are the two I do recall. We got like feedback from like um, our regular. Oh, I got another one too. Yeah, yeah. People like I know somebody said to you and all. I you know like the show won't listen to that just from principle. And I know we got a lot of. Uh, oh, it's a great show, guys. Um, don't bring that other guy back on, okay? Yeah, you know, the other guy we got a little heat for was um, was it Russ? Uh, the guy McKamey Mansion or Russ Halloween McKinley? Up? Yeah, yeah. Um, he was the one who ran like the scariest haunted house, and it's funny because every once in a while, I'll look up, I look up like if McKamey Manor, is, I think it is, um, is still going, and like all the videos are just like, yeah, he basically just like gets someone to agree to be tortured for like eight hours. And it's not even a haunted house anymore. Yeah. It's just him torturing someone like in his backyard. Yeah, yeah Russ, it's uh, it's March. I, I don't know how this has to do with Halloween. Um, yeah, uh, you might want to do some better uh, scheduling. Yeah, and like shaving women's heads and dunking them into garbage and mm. God knows what. But you know, we uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pretty much interview anyone. Yeah, I mean. Nowadays, we're jokingly talking about James Krause, and it wasn't a wasn't like a queasy type of interview, but he turned into a yeah. character. Would you would you call a guy who like got into like gambling on fighters a scumbag, or maybe someone that kind of lost their way a little bit? <sighs> I guess it all depends on the reasoning for it, because if it's like. I'm on some hard times. I need a couple extra bucks. You can sit back and go, you know, it's a little, you know, a little off, but I understand what you're doing. If it's like, yeah. Whoa. You, you mean the, the Saudis are going to give me how much? Oh yeah. This guy's got a bum leg right now. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I, I'm training him. I think of guys like Craig Carton and, and, and people like that have gone away for like stupid gambling and, um, you know, I don't. Yeah. My initial reaction isn't like always like scumbag. Like I could see how that can become addicting, or like maybe in a UFC fighter's case, uh, coach, I guess, uh, case. Like I don't know how much money these guys are pulling in, and maybe it's like okay, if I give this, um, you know, I give this tip and I, uh, I make, I have no idea what he made. I, I make a hundred grand. Um, and I could take care of my family, you know, maybe he's in financial trouble. So like, I don't initially, I don't initially feel like, oh, automatic scumbag with like the James Crouch situation, but 
Hmm. Um, I mean, I'll put it this way. You know, I still try to get Pete Rose on the podcast. Hmm. So it's not a big it, deal for how, me. How's that going? Uh, still no replies. Still no replies. Um, what about but, Art, uh, Art Garfunkel? Haven't haven't gone after him in a while. I'm going to retry that. Yeah, I feel like that I, one, I'd like. I feel like that one's going to happen. I, I like just like poking the bear. I mean, I feel bad for the guy because I know he's just like son of a. You know what I'm going to tell you, and all, but I still like to go. Hey, did, yeah, did it'd be Art hard. get visited by three ghosts on Christmas, and we'll now do our podcast. Yeah, it'd be interesting if like we did interview Art Garfunkel, but. We're able to interview him without asking him a question about Simon and Garfunkel music. Like, only his solo. That would be a very difficult interview. Like, he'd be like, okay, you can interview me, but do not talk about any of the beautiful music I made with Paul Simon. Yeah. Uh, so, your new album, does it remind you of any old times yeah. in particular? <laughs> um, nothing specific, but, like, something where you, maybe it was a duet and, you know, you got the same rhythm yeah. or do you or there? do you feel like you're in a bridge under troubled water like mm. which one you know i mean uh no uh like, like when you go home and you go say hi to your wife and you open the door and she didn't turn on the living room light do you go hello darkness my old friend <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah do you yeah um Mike, the uh, so anybody er, welcome welcome everybody welcome on on to the podcast here um well, the, the the what's the saying? The cats are away. The mice will play. Is that is that the one, Mike? I am uh, I am. I've been solo again for this is night th- uh, night three. Um, wife's away down in Miami, probably getting uh, swooned by some uh, Latino man. You know, developing her future. Um, and I, I'm. Yeah, let me tell you, I am. Living that, living that single life right now. That it's 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 beautiful. Didn't I see on Facebook you were dancing with your child and your parents? Yeah, yeah. That's that, what that, sing, that's what single guys do. That, that that was your party. Did you do that in college? Of course, I'd invite my parents over. Be like, let's dance on this beer pong table. Get crazy. I didn't have a lot of friends. It was weird, but. Yeah, and you invited a random baby since you didn't have that baby at the time. Which... I was practicing. I was I was getting getting warm uh, for it. But um, I mean, it, that's kind of why your neighbors don't talk to you anymore, Scott. You yep. kept on insisting, bring your kid over so you yeah, will dance with my dad. Yeah, man, it's weird. Like I don't know. Uh, maybe it's because I have a, a. I would say I have a, a pretty good relationship with my wife, but like I don't know how guys like just. Like, just go into, like, this, like, devious lifestyle when the women's... Like, I just, like, shut down and turn into, like, a... I don't know, like an Irish turtle. <laughs> I just, like, don't do much. Um, I, like, uh-huh. sit there and... Like, yes, I have my son to take care of. Uh, and that's, you know, that's definitely a handful. But, you know, like, I take care of him. I, like, listen to boring music. I make dinner and like wash the dishes and all be all of a sudden become this like perfect man <laughs> but but nobody but nobody's around to see this perfect man basically all this time when she was nagging you it's like if you just removed that i'd be the perfect husband right like if you just just mute it for like 10 minutes maybe the lawn would look beautiful but no i i gotta wait till you're in another state 
to do I, this. I, I just know that, like, I you know you hear these stories of, and I, I'm not I'm not saying I'm this amazing guy, but you hear these stories of these men with with children like cheating on their wives and and finding what like I don't even know how they accomplish it. Like, <laughs> like, how do they they pull it off? Like, where is their kid when the cheating's going on? Where is um, where do they go? <laughs> like, like, how, what? How do they justify like maybe coming home or staying out one night? You know, or stay like it, it takes a totally different mindset to become that person. Well, that's a person that. Literally... I mean, I I married that person years ago. Oh <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they did it to me, so I guess I do have some insight into that. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean... the hotel job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that, yeah, that's just the person that all they care about <laughs> is their internal self, and they are probably like planning it to the letter of where to go, what to do. If the, if the wife calls, what is the backup plan? Right, all that stuff there. I mean, I, I mean, I may, I think I told the story before in the podcast. I have the king of scumbag. Yes, you are. You are the king of scumbags. Yes, yes. I, well, I mean, yeah, we're printing up the t-shirts, but, that, <laughs> but but prior to me, there was a story of so Mike, the and, king of scumbags, and the camel camel jumping king of Yemen, the or, camel toe. Jumping King or the baby camel jumping. Baby king. camel, yeah. Camel toe was the X rated. Maybe I'll go for both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You oh, can... of Yemen. I, I forgot about. I that. feel like you'd have a better chance of jumping over camel toe than actual camels, but that's just me. That's just me. Set your goals high. Yeah, you know. Hey, this podcast got to go to seven fifty so we can celebrate. So yeah. give me time. Exactly. Give me time. Exactly. I got. But, you. I got um, your back. But uh, there was a guy I used to work with. Uh, his he was married to. Obviously, his wife. His wife had a lot of problems producing a baby. Mm. She, from what I understand, five miscarriages. <sighs> Every like devastating, and it was like toying with her the entire time. It's like, okay, it happened at this point. Then it's like, well, a month later after that was number two, and it just kept on progressing. Of you getting your mindset of this is going to be it, and our miscarriage happens, right? So she got pregnant again, and basically the doctor said, uh, I'd say five, six month point and all. It's like we're so concerned about how like the other miscarriages happened. We basically had to have you in a hospital, laying on a bed for the next few months oh, until yeah. you give birth. I, I kind of remember this. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, whole life's shamble her whole life is sitting in a bed to have a baby with this guy <laughs> this guy not the greatest character uh, on the planet i thought uh, the story was gonna turn around he's gonna be the best husband ever he's gonna you would think wait by her kid. bedside take a leave of absence from his job yeah so as she is laying in the hospital i don't know how far in she was not i don't even think like a full month into this whole thing he declares and all i'm going stir crazy i have to go to bulgaria for work now me being at his work what has to go very 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 debatable no major projects no big things to do whatever 
flies over to Bulgaria to stoop a girl over there. That girl he stoops, he gets her into our IT department. He hires her. And I even remember the day I was actually in Bulgaria at the time, and I was looking for an answer to something, and I opened the door to talk to him, and he's in the office with her in her CEO at the time, or CIO, and they're like, oh, we're in the middle of something, just come back later. And I close the door, and the like, I take one step, and I got, like, the light bulb went off, and I'm like, oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. are... You are not doing what I think you are doing. But he did. Mm-hmm. But he did. Mm-hmm. And uh, a little later on, he got that girl knocked up. Oh, no. Yeah. 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 So he has the loving wife that had five miscarriages and is clinging to a bed to ensure they have a loving family. And he goes, screw that. You're up time. And then we worked on his radio show for a couple of years. No, I, um, <laughs> very familiar to that person. I mean, the only good thing that happened was he was slacking on his job. So they rid him up. When you write him up, you're allowed to look into his, investigate him, look in his emails. And they basically found he was taking licenses that the company was purchasing and emailing it to himself for his personal business. And that's how he lost his job. I, I think guys who are able to do that are maybe the most ambitious people because like when I just hearing that story, <laughs> I'm like getting exhausted thinking about like, okay, if I was to cheat, okay. I, and I put myself in that center. Now I gotta, I gotta figure out how to get away from the wife, find a way to meet up with this person, have sex with this person. Uh, knock them up, figure out the medical part of this, the financial part of this, dealing with the emotional, you know, the emotional side of a person that comes within a relationship on one side and then the emotional side of the other, right? We all, you know, anybody in a normal relationship has days where you guys want to put axes through each other's head, you know, like, but you you get over it, you figure it out and you kind of figure out what, what you did wrong or what the person did wrong, come to an agreement, get on with it or, or whatever it is like, and that, that sometimes is just exhausting alone to juggle all those balls in the air and then go to work and then figure out how to keep this away from the other. Like it has to be beyond like stressful and i these people are able to like like i feel like a guy like the rock or kevin hart would be a great cheater because they they can juggle (laughs) they can juggle so many businesses and opportunities and and post things all day and keep a good face like they must be amazing at, at cheating if they were i feel like they would they would keep everyone happy somehow yeah, the, their ability to strategize and figure things out is extraordinary. So there's scum in the earth, but if I have to do like an escape room where we have to do puzzles and like really figure out timing and stuff like that, I'm probably going to bring in those cheaters and all because they have figured it all out. Right they, there. They, I know I'm getting out of the Egyptian room in record time. It, it, it's funny if you, when you're... I, okay, so like I, there, there's a guy I worked with um, that we were pretty much 100% sure he was cheating with um, 
another co-worker I had at the time. And um, this guy walked around uh, the building uh, like nothing would ever go wrong. Like nothing bothered him. Nothing. uh, Everything's good, man. And they're able to put this front up that is amazing. Now, I I will say that when when I was going through – a, a cheating situation. I thought I was putting like a, a front up and I thought it was pretty good, but it turns out like when I talked to my friends and my family, like, you know, after the effect, after the fact that everybody knew, every, every, everybody knew besides me that they knew, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. I, it was, it was actually almost more shocking revealing the things to them. And some of them being like, Oh yeah, we had we 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 had an inkling that was going on. Or oh yeah, you've been you've been absolutely miserable for the last five or six months. I'm like really like in my head, I was I was the maestro. I was I was yeah. I was uh, doing what's the word or orchestrating the orchestra that orchestrating right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> conducting conducting good job brain. Um, mm. See, I'm in my like weird turtle single see i can't even think of the word orchestrating or conducting um anyway um i thought i was putting up a front that nobody knew anything and i was like i got this like nobody needs to know my bit and then eventually all that stuff just boils up to the point where you you're just not putting out anything positive into the universe like i there's a point where i hated like everything i was just like miserable i was like i just want to go do my uh comedy set at night and get out of here get out of my house go do something um and all this like misery was just on my back and like the little stupid five minute bombing set i'm doing at a rocking joe's uh coffee shop felt good like that's the only thing that made me feel good for six minutes and it it probably was terrible if i listened back to the tapes or something like that it probably was awful and that's the funniest thing where you know it's bad but you convince yourself this is better than dealing with what's behind you right there i mean if anything it's like well now we have a conversation because if you you killed it just be like high five and it's over you bomb you're kind of laughing <laughs> yeah, yeah you see how that person in the front row reacted well, I mean, they always say like comedians are are you know like a troubled, usually troubled people, and I I believe that to some aspect, but I I, I feel like that's also like a people use that as like a like an out or a stereotype, like oh I'm so crazy, I'm tortured, I'm a comedian. Like I don't always believe that. Like I, I I've met a lot of really great people in comedy and you you know a bunch of them too that aren't these tortured so are they dark and twisted of course but that that's the on stage persona or the or the sense of humor it's not um really who they are and i know so many good family guys uh you know people who bust their ass you know to put food on the table and and stuff like that so i think that people like i've had this theory for a while that Comedy podcasts, um, not really like our type of comedy podcast, but like podcasts by like famous comedians, like the Burrs and the Rogans and the even like the Opie and Anthony, like days where they had all the comics sitting around, have uh, like in a way 
put put this roadmap for comedians in their head like this is what you have to do and this is what you have to act like and they think they have to emulate these these guys and these characters like like yeah. it's almost like oh they're like okay so you go back to like the 80s the early 90s there's no books on stand-up comedy like how to how to be a comedian like it doesn't doesn't really exist and everyone kind of carved their own path now it's like Oh, I need a podcast. I need to post on social media. I need to post my dates with my face on the <laughs> the um the you know flyer. The, the flyer. I need to get headshots. I need to um I need to go to seven hundred mics a, a a week, and I I don't feel like that's all true, and it's almost like poison the, the pool. Uh, the pool exactly like. Okay, that worked for Burr. That worked for Jimmy uh, Norton. That worked for uh, you know Rogan and all those guys he brings up. But like, I feel like in the end, it all comes down to like people. Like I've I've met guys who do comedy, kind of like part time, and are doing amazing. Like they do, they just do enough where they're still enjoying it. They get good gigs. I've met guys who've committed fully to it and are traveling all over the place and. This is what they do, and they do the road all day. I've met guys who just stay in their little New York City bubble. Um, they do their seven-minute sets in the city all night, and that works for them. I, I, I don't feel like – such is life, right? There's no one path to anything. No, no. I mean, there's too many stories of a just got lucky, somebody saw me somewhere and went from there kind of things. Um there's too many commitments nowadays to just go, this is the path, this is the way you got to do it. And I feel we kind of had this conversation off the air once about the comedians when you and I were doing open mics. Right. 90% of them are gone. I think COVID did a ton to kind of kill that off because, one, you had two years with your family where you're kind of like, oh, this ain't bad. This is nice. I mean, I, I just said to I someone used- this morning, I miss quarantine a little bit. <laughs> yeah i miss it a little bit in some ways like i got so much done i i i the pressure of like doing show or like anything was kind of off a little bit and i didn't mean to interrupt you but um but no i mean but i feel from that like space and like the very low amount of shows that were after that because they just just looking on Facebook, it's not looking like the same amount of open bikes, not the same amount of regular people making shows and all that. It kind of detoured the situation where somebody's like, I did it, had my cup of coffee, I'm good. I'm not going to be the next prior or rock or anything like that. Right. It was a nice time, but it's not a I have to do things. And like you said, there's other outlets like podcasts where you want to make somebody laugh just put a mic in front of yourself and try out some stuff i will i will say that um you know when we when we started everyone's like you got to do a billion mics you know i always got to hit the open mic i i will say i never felt comfortable doing open mics i hated it i hated small crowds i hated um doing everything in front of comics um i never cared i always loved even today like i had a show at that um factory records um whatever that was in december or whatever it was, i don't know um and the crowd was like 12 people the first show eight people the, 
And I was so tight and so like just in my head. Like it's a different, it's a different animal. And I know there's value in performing in front of small crowds. Like you have to change your delivery and you can't be like, <laughs> you can't be like Sebastian Maniscalco or Brewer on the stage when there's eight people there. You know, you got to kind of talk to them. You know, I think of like, you remember, remember that show we did years ago for like two people or whatever the hell it was? Oh, yeah. Um, I remember that show. In fact, I'd like, I went into it like I'm, I'm like, I ain't going to an act. I literally, I remember the stage was like so short or it was tall for the short room that I, one of us like knocked our heads on the ceiling. I just said, screw it. I just grabbed a seat. I put it in front of the two. We we're just chatting. I still I had my notes next to me. I didn't care. And, and, and that's it was a great time. And that's the way to approach that and that was an incidence where you read the room correctly like it's like yeah. i can't be boisterous and yelling like it, it, it but and i was never comfortable with mics like it, there's i still get like little open mic notifications i'm like yeah i should probably go there huh. and test what i do now is like if i'm doing a 20 minute set i'll try to put in three minutes of new stuff like okay i'm gonna try this it's smack in the middle so i i'm not gonna open with it and i'm not gonna close with it i'm gonna just see if there's something and then the other night i do a fundraiser i'm going i'm doing five minutes of new stuff and i got and i was having a great set and i said no i'm not going to that i'm Mm -hmm. gonna just do my job and do the material that yeah the comics that I'm working with may have heard it 400 times, but the crowd did it, and it went really well. And it was like a fundraiser, and it was a shorter show, um, which was nice. And it was only three of us, uh, each doing 20 minutes each. And it was just like kind of read the room, and I'm like, they're like a chatty crowd. Like I don't want to lose them with some dumb thing I thought of on the way in there that is not flush now. Could Mike? I, I never got value out of mics. Like I, I know people say, "Oh, it's the best thing to write." I only got value ever from writing on stage, or trying something on stage with a crowd, or throwing an idea out there and seeing how. Like I, heard, I heard Louis C.K. on on Rogan this week, and he was talking about he'll just put a bullet point on a piece of paper when he's writing a set list. He said he never writes pen to paper. And I'm like, mm. huh. And that's that's Louis CK, a prolific comic. A prolific comic. And he's like, I ha I he's like, I can't write it other c- write it word for word because then it sounds too much like I'm writing it I'm reading it word for word when I say it. Like I'm not in the moment. So he's like, I'll just put down the word cows. Like, what do I feel like about cows or whatever the the joke is? And he'll, like, navigate it on stage. And I'm like, I identify with that more than putting it. And I've tried the pen to paper thing. There was a time when we were sharing notes on Evernote and writing. And I liked it. I I liked it because it forced me to do something. But when I tried those jokes, it always felt like I was saying a monologue. Yeah. Reading a cue card. Yeah. 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 And the, like I said, it all depends on the environment because, um, I mean, the open mics we went to, a lot of, I mean, most of them comedians are not paying attention. They're worrying about getting the meal, getting the beer, chatting yeah. with their friends. Not, it's a night out, right? You're, it, it was, it was never like, oh, I heard your stuff. 
hey, that's pretty good. Maybe add this, maybe switch that around. You didn't get any feedback. And like, so, and then like where we came from, from the old podcast, comedians were so selfish. The, the one comedian who ran it would put his name number one yep. and just spitball for 40 minutes and nothing was good. And it's like, after 40 minutes of sit, listening to crap, you're like, why do I want to go up there? I ain't going to rile up the crowd. Everybody else is pissed off and want to get out of there. Yeah, and there's no energy left. And and that's also the club's fault for letting him do that much time. And apparently, from what I've heard, uh, that when they were running their open mic, that was still the case. They'd be like, uh, let's just call him... Um, uh, Richie Las Vegas, Richie Las Vegas was going up and doing 20 minutes and everybody's like, this is horrific. And he's horrific. Anytime he gets on a show, he's, he's probably the number one comic. I hear people like be like, at least you're not, (laughs) at least you're not Richie Las Vegas or at least, you know, he's like, he's like the punchline to other people's jokes. Yeah. Funny thing is that Richie Las Vegas, I remember being on a long car ride with him. It was yes. just him after a famous story with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I heard per- like the person. And I'm like, this this is a good person. And if I saw this person on stage. I might root for him, but his act, it, it's, it was just cookie cutter. Something I would hear in the eighties, some comedian that would be like the fifth person on a special and you yeah. you're like like if somebody quizzed you who was that i don't know yeah and 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 that guy is also like trying to do the shock humor thing but people <laughs> don't understand like um if you're going to do a, a a sex joke or a a blue joke in order for for it to be good it's got to be clever like every sex joke has been done, every topic in sex has been done. But if you're gonna, and and that doesn't mean it's like every joke about marriage or every joke about a relationship has been done, or or that topic has been covered. You got to find an original approach to it, and then it will still be funny. There's always going to be funny in the difference between men and women, marriage, relationships, uh, sex, like. These are the topics that everyone experiences. So, of course, there's something new to poke at or 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 see a different perspective of. But he would just go up and be like, "Hey guys, uh, butt plugs, right?" Like, like it'd be like, oh. "What's your favorite porn site?" Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, uh, <laughs> to sum it up, like open mics were were never my thing. I it's weird to feel more nervous. <laughs> For no audience than an actual audience, which makes no sense, but it's the way it is when you know you're going it's almost funnier when you're going into it saying, I'm not gonna get a laugh at this show if you know how bad the crowds are there versus an open mic. Yeah, yeah. I mean Mike and also just like being above among your uh your judging peers or your non or mm. whatever. Just like everyone's there for themselves, really, in the end. Yeah. But all right, Mike. We've been doing a lot of nonsense here. A lot, a lot of nonsense as usual. Um, yeah, about nine years worth. Yeah, yeah. But um, it is time to get to one of our, I would say, arguably one of our biggest guests. I mean, as in like names in the music community. 
very easily debatable number one right there. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that made a song, um, you know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, um, that your mom and dad, my mom and dad, might have been, like, going out to a bar, like, mm-hmm. like digging on it and being like, hey, you know, yeah. hey, hey, Emma, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know. I'm hanging. Like the denim you're wearing right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, let me put this song on the jukebox. And like the whole bar might have been looking yeah. at them. Um, you know, and that, that song is bad to the bone. I mean, I don't think, I remember being a kid being like, bad to the bone. You know, like you knew the song. You've heard it. You've It's everywhere. It was in like the, you know, when we had John Walsh on. I, I always said it's like in it's in the fabric of America. Even if you didn't, you know, even if you didn't watch the show, you're like, I know that what that show is. You know, I knew who exactly. he was. You've heard Bad to the Bone somewhere. Easily. I mean, just the, the start with that. Bam, 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 bam. It's <laughs> yeah. like immediately you're like, I'm ready. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. So coming to us tonight. Um, coming on his 50th anniversary of Bad to the Bone, going on a tour on it, is the one and only George Thorogood of, believe it or not, Mike, George Thorogood and the Destroyers. <laughs> um, wonder how he got that gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a real honor um, and, and really cool interview coming up. So um, I guess without... Um, further ado i don't know i don't know if there's anything else to talk about but uh here's the one and only george thurgood well what's on your mind what's on my mind my mind is is george thurgood celebrating 50 years of of uh you know uh, just yeah, be- i do know i i know it's called rock music, you know, blues, rock music. Yeah. You okay? Over there? Yeah. No. 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 I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm just, I'm trying to ease into the interview. You know, you're saying what's on my mind. I'm thinking about, do I need another beer? I think I got a softball, Scott. Okay. And I want to talk about his semi-pro baseball career to start off. Okay. What he did before the rock and roll. Uh, kind of give us a little bit of background on that. Uh, for what I understand, you met your drummer through your baseball team. Is that right? Everything you have said is false. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for coming, George. Yeah. Thanks for the interview, George. This is great. <laughs> I'll, uh, no, no, no fault of your own. I'll, uh, I'll give you the lowdown on that. Uh, okay. The drummer in our band, Jeff Simon, we've been, he lived right up the street from me and we were, when we weren't playing baseball, we were listening to music, you know, so we decided to form a band. But it was much later after the band was together, we'd been playing for a good six years uh, live uh, before right. we decided to put, put a baseball team together. Uh, we had we had a little time off one year, and uh, so we put together a team. It was no big deal. It was like an 18-game schedule. And we played like two years, 79 and, and 80, and that was it. So it was it wasn't really like a baseball career. It was more like a uh, more like a you know something we just wanted to do. We always played, and it wasn't it wasn't that long. So it really didn't interfere with our rock and roll thing. So, but it was a it was just um, a, a recreational type of thing. What was your what was your position? What where where, where did you strive? I embarrassed myself in the infield. 
Okay. <laughs> the hot, the hot corner, first base. No, 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 no. I got, you know, it's funny because, uh, I was, uh, I played second base on this team and, uh, at, uh, I was on, on a, on a, on a tour and uh, unbelievably I, I won the rookie of the year or whatever that means. And when I came back, I was, I was on the road, you know, and our manager accepted the award for me. So when I got back, I said, Hey man, thank you for doing that. And by the way, thank you for, you know, putting me and choosing me to play second base. It wasn't my choice. And I said, what made you decide to play second base? Put me at second base. And he said, no one else wanted that position. <laughs> said, well, that's typical of Thorogood, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, I read that you're a, you're a Met fan. I am also a lifelong Met fan. You got to feel good about the team at this point, right? Are you, are you still following? I went, DeGrom left. I said, man, this game is just getting, this game is just getting, Way out of control. You get, we finally got we finally got a, a pitcher who uh, can match up to Tom Seaver. I was bummed too, honestly. Yeah, we lose. I was bummed. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, that's just. Uh, but that's typical of the Mets. You know, they're not supposed to be champions. They're the second wild card is created for the Mets. <laughs> that would be my team. Yeah, yeah. He's a Philly fan, unfortunately. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I always find it kind of, kind of, kind of you know boring to always follow a champion you know like the yankees or the dodgers that's i said you know i want a team with a little bit of character so when you know if they finish over 500 then that's a bonus they get close to the playoffs um you know the mets are my team what can i say i i agree i mean but now we have this ownership which is really interesting now all of a sudden we could spend endless money it kind of feels weird right it kind of feels like hey that's not what we do either well, if you want to get good players, you got to pay good money. If That's you want it. great players, you got to pay pay great money. Yeah, I know this, and this guy this guy seems like a lunatic. He seems like he'll do anything. Well, you know, what kind of a lunatic? He's got to put out some cash if you want. Hey, if you want the big boys, you got to pay. I mean, you know? I mean, lunatic in the best way possible. Yeah, oh, I, I think it, yeah, I think yeah, it feels yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, he's excited. He wants to, you know, he wants he wants the Mets to be a champion. So he's going to put his money in, into investing in championship players. Sure, I assume that's I assume that's his uh, mo or whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah. I I listened to one interview you did where they talked about how you were well known for just like like digging deep for some of those covers that you did. Like obviously one bourbon, one scotch, one beer. I'm just kind of curious when you go through that process when you go through some of the singers and bands that you love is it something where you instantly go i can do this or is it like you put it down on a list go back and go maybe i'll try this well it it, it kind of goes like this people call them covers i call them obscure material um you know songs that probably uh the world of blues or rock or are, are unaware of and i i came late to the party and i so doing that, uh, the, the, the stuff was kind of picked over at that point. Um, Butterfield Band, John Hammond, the Rolling Stones, Yardbirds, uh, you know, Savoy Brown, Can Heat. That's, that's where they went to. That was the, the library that they built their early part of their career on, and I wanted to follow in that suit. Right. However, most of those songs, I said, cause so we were fortunate to find a song like Ride on Josephine or Bottom of the Sea, uh, tail dragger that hadn't been covered uh, by uh, internationally known rock band. Okay, mm-hmm. and then that was tough. In these days, 
it, 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 nobody does that anymore because it's not obscure because of the internet and all the things you, everything's right at your fingertips. Right. Um, sure. You know, in 1979-71, when I was trying to gather material, well, I spent a lot of time in, in um, old uh, record stores and places like that, you know, trying to dig up tunes that hadn't already been covered because that's the way I wanted to make my mark. If you, if you said, well, everybody's done, got my mojo working, and everybody's done this one. And I said, then all they're going to do is compare me to those artists. Right. And, and so, and, you know, some of the songs we picked and recorded, um, I um, I went to some of the original artists, and they didn't even remember the song. <laughs> like <that>. <laughs> <laughs> you so, should have presented uh, as original. They would be like, oh, yeah, that sounds yeah, good, uh, man. Yeah. Well, Who anyway, wrote that's it? What, you. <laughs> anyway, that's, what I, that's what I did, and... Uh, I was kind of uh, call, call myself like a junior Indiana Jones as a, like a uh, arc. What do they call those kind of people? Uh, anthropologists, Arche- people archaeologists, like yeah. archaeologists in rock and roll. Yeah, that's it. So you know, that, that's what I did in the early days. So, so they, you know, would get noticed. You know, I mean, some of those tunes was the word. And the heck, did you ever get that song? I said I had to. <laughs> I had no choice. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, Little Queenie and Johnny Be Good have been covered a hundred times, you know. Yeah, but nobody did. Sense. It wasn't me. So I grabbed that one. Have you ever, like, you know, with, with music still, like, now at our grasp on, on the phone and you you could find it basically, any artist you ever thought of, you can, you can pull it up in seconds. Have you ever thought of covering something modern or, or like nowadays or, or are you still searching for, for, for material no, that you like or the, the well is gone dry. Yeah. I mean, it's mm. basically, and another thing, it was a project of mine on our first two re- records, almost like a, a project of mine to expose these, these songs. Cause right. I knew they were good songs. Some of the original recordings were a little shaky and I thought, well, if, we, if a good band got a hold of this song, um, it, it, something could happen. So I was very proud of the fact that um, we were we were promoting good songs. Um, you see, if I was a, a record producer and I found these songs, I would have gone out and hired the best rock and blues musicians in the world. Right. I would have got, yeah. got Jimmy Page and, and Elvin Bishop and people like that. And so you're going to the studio and this is a song you're going to do. Okay? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, what can I say? You know, fate was against me, I guess. <laughs> does it does it feel like you're coming up on this 50-year, you know, tour and when does it feel like 50 years or or is it is it hard to believe or like does it seem like it happened in sections? How does it feel to you now looking back on that? I really don't think about it much at all, fellas. I don't really, you know, I'm not one for looking in the rearview mirror. Yeah. You know, um, I guess maybe it'll catch up to me sometime. But I've been so busy all this time. It's like um, I haven't had time to reflect on those kind of things, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't really want to. Uh, I have a slogan to say, you cannot get forward if you're always looking backward. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> but you got to um, look backwards every once in a while and say, this is pretty cool. I've been able to do this for 50 mm-hmm. years, and I still get new fans, and you, you get weirdos like us trying to reach out to you and talk to you. Like, there's still love for you. Like, it's got to be pretty yeah. cool. Uh, you know, to last this long, you know, has there's so many, um, so many elements that, that keep uh, – anybody going in show business and they all have those components have to be all in sync right and for it to keep going for year after year um when we started the first uh uh you know uh, they had a thing called underground music them fm radio right and we got in on the tail end of that just before they stopped it 
then we kind of then we remember right out of that came the M- MTV rage that came out in about 1981-82. So we got in on the bottom floor of that, mm-hmm. which was a great break for us. Um, then um, up came classic rock radio right about in the early 90s. And we, we were another one. We were one of the ones that people luckily got into that. Then they started opening Indian casinos and then came to House of Blues and uh, what do you call serious radio, things like that. Mm-hmm. So all these new things, these avenues of expression keep coming up. Sure. And we're fortunate. Enough, the funny thing about it is all these new wave ways of getting your mu- music promoted I'm still playing the same old song. About a year ago, a year ago, we uh, did a did a um, blues cruise. You know, yep. Joe Bonamassa's blues cruise. So we did that, and um, and we had done a, a rock one a, a couple a few years before that, and then we, before we even finished up at the blues cruise a year ago, they signed us up to do the rock cruise on the next year and i said i'm playing a rock festival one night a blues festival the next night jazz festival and i play the same songs in every one of them <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well what am i am i a blues guy rock guy what am i you know i i, so, I think that, that's just, like i that's see all, I yeah i see all these promotions for flyers and festivals like it, it'll be like a death metal band with a pop artist with a blues guy like I think that's kind of cool too. Like where these very eclectic festivals are all over the place now. Well, I think it's a good reason. I'll give you an example of why I believe that somebody, like, an artist like say Chuck Berry, lasted so long. Uh, he once, uh, I think it was about 1963, 64, something like that. He played like four festivals in one year. He played a jazz festival, a blues festival, a rock and roll festival, and even a country festival. And he played all the same songs. <laughs> and it was like all those songs and he had one song you got one song to fit in. he has a song called memphis tennessee that everybody loves and if you pull that out of that everybody's booing you <laughs> they don't understand what's going on you whip that song off and you know and you're okay well I, I figured that out a long time ago i said well george if you could get a song that covers a lot of different things like you know let's let, let's face it i mean as great as he is Jimi Hendrix would not play at a country festival. Okay. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. As great as George Jones was, you'd never catch him at a rock festival. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So we were, we're fortunate to, that we bounced around without really having to change anything. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's, uh, I said, well, gee, that's what you wanted from beginning, George. You, you, you wanted to be something like a Coca-Cola and a Chevy. <laughs> something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's affordable. And available and always dependable. Yeah, and, yeah. You're reaching you know, for it right in the right in the. Uh, you go to the convenience store. You know yeah, what you I, want. You know, I yeah. leave the I leave the champagne and the Rolls Royces to Stevie Guitar Miller and people like that. You know, uh, <laughs> I said, you know. I said, I said, you know, if if you're gonna stick around in this business, you know, choose something or do something that's a stable that you can do forever. Well, that was, people would come to me and say, well, wouldn't you like to break out into this? And I go, no. And they go, oh, you're in love with this. That, and that. I said, no, I cannot play anything else. If I could write Bridge Over Troubled Water, don't you think I would have done it by now? No. Yeah. You know, of course. I mean, yeah, that's you know. a funny thing. Like, there are so many artists that's like, play this song, and you're like, oh, I hate it. And, and the fans clamor for it. You're just saying, 
if you love it, here it is. I mean, it's exactly. crazy I mean, on that, some artists like that. Well, that's the, the deal. Um, I always looked at our uh, our catalog as kind of like a menu when you go into a restaurant. Um, people here that say, oh, yeah, I will take this, I'll take this. Oh, I noticed you got a couple of new things on, on the menu. But they they come in for the staples. Well, we did that from day one, fellas. We wanted to be uh, a band that we, we always selected the songs we thought people would like. And if we liked them, that was a bonus. But, you know, it's like the old thing when you're in eighth grade and you're walking around, you got nobody, you know, and they go, hey, did you see that girl over there? She's got a crush on you. And you go, do you like her? Well, yeah, now I do like you. I love her, yeah. <laughs> yeah get her over here. <laughs> and that's kind of interesting. Was there ever a song that you that you liked a lot where you figure, man, I kind of wish it went with yeah, everything else? Everybody else has those feelings. Um, there are certain songs that we do that I, for the life of me, I can't understand why they why they, they caught fire. Okay, and then I've got a couple that kind of disappointed me. We did a song uh, written by Charlie Charlie Midnight called American Made, which um, the, the the recording of it, Jim Gaines, who also re- produced big time people, uh, Stevie Guitar Miller, uh, Santana, you know, people like that. And we, we wanted that thing to, to kick into gear. It didn't ever quite happen because I was looking at a, a, a song like that um, because I knew John Mellencamp had R-O-C-K in the USA, you know, and Springsteen had um, Born in the USA, something like that. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> and I've heard that one before, yes. passed away. <laughs> he had a, she was an American girl. And I said, now, if I could get one song like that, maybe I, I can I can swing with the big boys. Um, so that was the, that was the plus I liked the tune. I thought it was great. And uh, there's, there's a part of it talks about Crazy Horse and Native Americans, which I think is cool. You know, I think that's a cool thing. Um, so I've talked to other people like yourself and saying, I thought that song would just get me a, get me over the radar. And this guy said, George. That's why people love you, because you're under the radar. <laughs> yeah, that's your appeal. You know, you're like you're like the Bruce Stern of rock and roll. You know, mm. he, he's still going strong. He's in every movie. You watch a movie, and then after the titles, it says "and Bruce Stern." So I said, "Well, that's what I want to be." You know, back in '75. Yeah, that's why I got. I, it broke my heart. It broke. It didn't break my heart, but I kind of got it saddened me. I was happy for the man. I was really happy. One of my heroes was uh, Dennis Leary. Yeah. But Man. When, when, when Dennis went legit, I mean, he got a TV show with great uh, ratings, and, and then he yeah, won an award. Rescue me, I said, yeah. Dennis, Dennis, my brother, what are you doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he left me with the title, Most Obnoxious Man in Show Business. See, so <laughs> I'm happy for him. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy for the cat. He deserves what he gets and all that. But I kind of went, oh, shucks. Man. I thought, you know, I'm in detention all by myself. You know, yeah. I got caught skipping school when Dennis was my buddy. Now I'm all alone. <laughs> so, Lonesome George strikes again. Yeah. So people come and say, hey, George, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I notice you're uh, – your album didn't didn't get up in the charts, and I and I said, well, maybe it will. And they said, well, we hope it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted us to sustain our uh, you know uh, came close image. <laughs> if you will. What uh, what's what's the difference now? Like getting ready for a show, or, or you know, you're touring still. You're doing. I feel like you've never stopped. But what's the difference? You know, um, thirty, forty, fifty years ago going on tour between now going on tour as far as the, the, the preparation and whatnot. 
Well, the, 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 the going on tour in those days, speaking for myself, was was really difficult. It was hard. Yeah. Um, it was probably harder for people in the 60s. I started in the 70s. But, you know, we, we there, there were no um, there were no cell phones. There were no uh, computers. Uh, it, it, you'd be lucky if a hotel did. You could get a, a reservation in a hotel. Right. You know, uh, oh, it's a rock band. Uh, I don't know about that. You know, that kind of thing. And plus the venues are everything's better now to answer your questions. Everything's better now. Gotcha. Um, yeah, the venues are better. Um, the, the people, yeah, you got people now working in the rock industry, fellas, that uh, um, they go to college to learn how to do this thing. And and the technicians. Usually you'd go to a club and the guy's guy'd say, Well, who's done doing the sound? I said, Oh, I got my brother in law doing sound for you. He's a really great guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, put down that beer, will you? That's your twelfth beer. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So, so you know, so things like that don't don't happen anymore. But they did with they did with me, you know, a lot. And if it goes bad, it's always on the act. It's nobody ever says anything about anything. But if, if it's it's not a good gig, and I'm going, you know, if the promoter, you know, skimped on the PA, you know, you got to get seventy thousand dollars to get a good PA, and he went and got a ten thousand dollar one and pocketed the difference. Yeah, see, a lot of stuff went on then that we yeah. didn't know or were aware of later. And so you have to be real, real good at picking your people, selecting your people to uh, make the thing go. A rock band isn't run by just one or two people Mm-mm. or any band. Uh, if you rely on that, you're, you're not going to score. Uh, eventually, it's going to bite you on the tail end. you, you got to have up, a top-of-the-line professionals on everything you do um, as, for what I can afford. You know what I'm saying? I said, well, this is, these are these are great people I work with. Um, and I don't want to work with any other people. But if you want to get, hey, hey man, you want to get a good, good player on your team, you got to pay them. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you, want, you want Reggie Jackson, you got to pay, man. You know, and if you that. don't, then you're not going to win the pennant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but um, yeah, it's changed. It's changed a lot. And I think it's changed for the better. That's great. Now, speaking of tours, did you, is this true? You did a fifty states and fifty days tour. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> wow, like that doesn't sound like a fun event and all. How like how was it organizing it and getting it through? And how did you feel at the end of it? Like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like a fool. I, I'll tell you why. I tell you why. Uh, first of all, the guy who brought that up, and when you're next tour, why don't you play all 50 states? So we set it up to do all 50 states. And after the third, second or third one, the driver said, hey, it's really, I admire the fact that you're going to play all the, night, the states without a night off. I went, what? Is that what, that what you meant to begin with? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but prior to that, now check this out. Prior to that, we did uh, two shows in Philadelphia with the Rolling Stones. Uh, we oh, did. Uh, awesome. uh, we, we went up to Buffalo to do a show with them, a show in Boulder, a couple shows in L.A., a couple shows in San Francisco. And Bill Grant stepped up and wanted us to play two nights with the Stones in Madison Square Garden, like in November or sometime. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted us for a lot of a lot more dates. But we were booked up with the 50-50 tour. And I couldn't back out of that. That wouldn't be nice. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, here am I. I. Leave it to Thorogood. You know, I said, well, Mr. Graham, where were you a year ago? <laughs> you know, but it was like, see, because we were rookies, he didn't know. Nobody knew that we might be able to handle it. You see what I'm saying? Because yeah. they hired me, and I thought it was just for one night only, or one or two at best. So on a daily basis, like if a rookie gets a couple of base hits, they put him in a the lineup the next day. 
Yeah. Because come on, they keep him in the lineup. That's what Graham was doing. We were hired on pretty much a daily basis. So by the end of the time, he said, hey, I want you for a lot more dates. And that's why I say at the end, I felt like a fool. <laughs> I said, 50 states in 50 yeah. days. Yeah, that, hey, that's man, terrible. I could, drinking, I could be drinking champagne with, with Mick Jagger, uh, you know, <laughs> down on Park Avenue. <laughs> yeah, I got to go to around. Idaho, Mick. So yeah, yeah. Cruising around in a limousine, you know. Also, did you, know? did you like finish that tour with like Hawaii and Alaska? Like, how did you do those no, two? No, we started. We started with those okay. two states. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, just just getting it. your gear around has to be horrible doing. No, that. we rented it. We rented our. Gear. Okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. That was terrible. What What do you think about like um, like I know there's like a resurgence in vinyl. Um, I personally always go down to a little coffee shop over here that has some vinyl, and I'll pick one up. And um, uh, but now with like streaming, like you're able, people are able, to, bands are able to find new fans generations way younger than them have you found it beneficial to you or or um like how do you feel about like the the new state of the way people are able to 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 view music well i say uh, the more the merrier and when you started out it was that's all it was was a vinyl record of course it went on and then it went on to um hate track Mm-hmm. And then it went on to um, tapes. Uh, yep. Tapes. Yes. Yeah, tape. Yep. Those. Uh, well, how do you call them? You know what I'm cassettes. talking about. Uh, yeah, cassettes. Cassettes. Yeah. Yep. Cassettes. And then it moved on to um, uh, CDs. CDs. Yep. CDs. But the thing was, they were reproducing. I said, why do we have to keep making new records? They keep releasing everything <laughs> on, a, on a new style. So, uh, you know, it's just, you know, they're always thinking of new ways to, to, to market it and produce it and, uh, and to just and mainly to distribute it, so it's available and people can get it. Now I know some people will say, "I got a vinyl of this record, I got a CD of the same one, I got a cassette of the same one," sure. and they're proud of that. They're mm-hmm. proud of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, God bless them for that. Like, we, what's going to be happening forty years from now? What are they going to be doing? They'll, they'll, uh, uh, you know, you while you're dreaming, they'll pipe in the song in your bedroom. Oh, yeah. Beaming directly into your brain. Yeah, exactly. They'll they'll figure out a way. See, I myself was, um, you know, I I myself was a a record fan on vinyl, and I'll tell you why. So when they, just as we were getting ready to go make records, there was a a strike in our, well, not a strike in a country, it was an oil shortage. Um, And so people had to have a certain number on their license plate to go to the gas station and stand in line. There was, there was oil shortage. I said, I'm just ready to make the beat because you need oil to make records. You need that. And I go, I just got here and you're telling me this now? <laughs> <laughs> I got a song, Bourbon Scotch and Beer Rotten. Yeah. It's, it's just waiting. And you tell me, it's the oil shortage is now. And then I thought about all the crappy rep records uh, other artists made in the past, and it wouldn't be nice to say any. And I go, Oh, you had all these people had two, three, four albums out years ago, and their records were terrible. <laughs> you know, I want to make a good record, and you're telling me there's there's no way to do it. Well, that burnt me up pretty bad. <laughs> so we had to wait a while, actually, for that to run its course, and finally get the, get the record going. Um, I myself, in, in my generation, I liked albums for the fact that it had an album cover. It uh, might have no hundred percent. I think that's why vinyl's you know, so great. Yeah. Y- yeah, you would stand on at the bus stop and you would always make sure the album cover was was facing outward. 
So if somebody walked by, some a nice young girl or some guy you thought was going to beat you up, and you looked at her and said, oh, man, I see you got 12 by 5 by the Rolling Stones. Man, that's my favorite band. Like You wouldn't have never known that sure. if you didn't have the record out there. And it was a way of communicating. So, And that was another thing, too. When they, 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 the, the CDs that came out, people would put them in their purse or put them in their jacket pocket. So you didn't know. You didn't know what the what they were into. Yeah. I mean, I'm walking down the street, and out of nowhere I see a guy with the Mothers of Invention record. And how would I know that unless he was holding it there and I could, could vi- visually see it? So, and then plus there was always stuff, cool stuff, and you, know, you could stand there and stare at it. I mean, my parents would come and say, what is wrong with our boy, man? He's staring at these album covers those <laughs> Guys with long hair. Yeah, he I, never, he I never, still he like never, it. I still like he it. He never goes out. He never goes out with girls or anything. <laughs> he's just locked up in his room, staring at men. And all I could think of was, man, if I could just make my hair look like Keith Richards. Yeah, man, that would be really cool. You know? <laughs> you know? And that, that was the fun of it in those days. You know? Um, I remember um, in 1970, um, the... The late great Jeff Beck, a hero of mine, and and Rod yeah. Stewart, who I, who I admire, is one of the greatest crooners of all time. He's like a crooner. He's like the rock version of Dean Martin or something. Kind of you know is. Saying? He kind of is. Yeah, yeah. makes yeah. sense. Well, they put out this record, and in my time on the East Coast, I mean, the 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 groupies were standing in line with their makeup kits when Rod Stewart and Jeff Beck were coming to town. But for some reason, the record company did not put Rod Stewart's picture on the cover of the album. Big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a sex symbol, you know. Yeah. And you got the most, and Jeff Beck had the most outrageous haircut you ever saw. And I was thinking, who's running this show here? You know. Uh, so yeah, that's what we dug about it. I mean, you know, he was looking at the album cover and. You know, it just got to all this abstract stuff. I said, man, I don't want to look like that. I want to see what kind of shoes Frank Zappa's wearing, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was the fun of it in those days. That was fun, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway, uh, so now, now I would make a record. I said, oh, now you want to put my picture on an album now that I'm, you know, ancient senior citizen and all that. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm on, now I'm the front. Now I'm the big yeah. picture. Yeah. <laughs> George, we were lucky enough to talk to D. Snyder on the podcast, and we talked to him about, um, you know, his some of his hit songs are showing up in commercials now, and in the past they weren't getting any royalties or anything for that. Has things changed for you? And specifically, were you paid for Bad to the Bone for Webbo's Little Rooster's Excellent Adventure? I wouldn't know. I ha- I don't <laughs> never. Well, I never heard of that. I never knew we did yep. have a commercial with that. Uh, uh, that's actually a movie that Bad to the Bone appeared in. Well, you, you got to understand some. Sometimes these things, they get run by me and I agree to them. But the movie or the commercial doesn't come out for another two years. Yeah, another year sure. And a half. Yeah. So that gives me plenty of time. Water under the bridge that it was so long ago. Um, you know, was, we always do go try to go with a, a legitimate thing here. But you can't you can't remember everything. No, you know, it's of course things. not. No. Yeah. Of course, I'm going. I'm going to remember. Uh, say Robert De Niro loves your your uh, Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but some of it's just hard to keep track of. Um, 
Uh, I'm having a meeting with my people next week, and uh, they'll probably bring it up, or I'll bring it up, and <laughs> say, "Well, you agreed to it a year and a half ago. Yeah. A year and a half ago in in somebody's life can be be a lifetime, you know, in exactly. in this line of, in this line of work anyway." Yeah, George. Um, first, I want to thank you um, so much for giving us some time on this podcast. It, you know, your music's been the backbone uh, <laughs> for a lot of people for a long time. It, like, hey, that's George Thurgood. Oh, my dad. I went with my dad to see, you know, him. He opened up for this band. So, so I want to thank you for coming on. But my my last question here is: um, a- as you approach this. 50-year tour and whatnot and you know people are always going to clamor for for bad to the bone and whatnot but how do you go about building like a set list for and keeping it different for fan and 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 whatnot like how do you go about building a live show well in the early days when you're starting that's that's very tough um as time goes on uh you you know I, i said well we try to get Try to get most of the uh, the hits in the show, right? And of my, bu- my mm-hmm. buddy, my buddy John Fogarty, looked at me and goes, "What hits?" <laughs> I go, "John, you don't understand. Every band has certain hits with their fans, it, even if it's not in the top of the charts. Sure, it's, it it strikes a nerve with your fans. Now, we um, we just did a poll uh, just two days ago, measuring two songs against each other. Now, it's not like you could play three hours, you know." Right, your your top yeah. your top end your top end is ninety minutes, and you could seventy five to ninety minutes. So, you you got you got to go down and say I. What we'll was say? Well, we're going to advertise the tour here to our fans. We're going to announce to our fans on next tour. We're not going to do bourbon scotch and beer or bad to the bone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a hard right. sell. Yeah, no. yeah. You know, I, I I saw Chuck Berry do a show one time, and he walked on, and he had so many hits. He walked on. He said, "Well, here I am. What do you want to hear?" And he and one said, "Maybelline played Maybelline. Memphis played Memphis." Now, right down the line, and I said, "Wow, that's a that's great. You got a catalog like that. Can you imagine that? Is imagine Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan, and the Rolling Stones when they go over their catalog? What they got? Every song's a hit with them. They yeah. got a thousand of them. Uh, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. And, and I said, so they they with with me. I go. I got." I got just enough to squeak by and, and throw a, a couple of those in there and say, well, what's the difference between this song live and this song on the, on the record? I go, well, because we're playing live and we, we only have five songs. Uh, these are live extended versions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, this that is, you never heard. It's bad to the bone. The four hour edition. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I, I left out a few lyrics back there and I'm going to throw them on you. Dig this cat. Dig this man. I went on the bandstand a few years ago and, uh, uh, just that second or third song into the show, I said, I got an announcement tonight, folks. We are not going to play any new songs, and we got a standing ovation. <laughs> I said, oh, right. <laughs> that, that's the, now, that's where it's at for me. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, who, likes, who likes guesswork? Nobody likes guesswork. No. You, you want to go out there? No. They, they, and, we, and we have, on our website, we have a poll that we do um, every year, every six months to every year, and we put down... We can really, we can squeeze in about thirteen to fourteen songs. That's about it. Um, what are the ones you want to hear live? And then we get a response from that, and then we make our uh, our song list according to that. I mean, cool. the fans, the fans yeah. rule. I mean, you know, 
What are you going to do? Is like, well, go out and play a lot of songs they never heard of and they don't even like? Yeah. <laughs> like, it don't make no sense. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I look at some of these people, I go, man, I go, I, got, I went and did a tour with Stevie Guitar Miller, and he said, yeah, I go out there, I've been doing this for 11 years, I got to play the same songs. I go, what do you, Steve, they're great songs. Every one of them are great. Sure. Like, yeah. You play Absolutely. Living in the USA. You play Abracadabra. You play Swingtown. You play Rock, Big Jet Airliner. And it just goes on and on and on. I said, man, you don't have to ever step in a studio again. That's, <laughs> boy, that's beautiful to me. That's yeah, beautiful. yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes that's sense. great. George, um, I, I could talk to you for hours. We could talk to you for hours about, about your career, but our time is coming up. I want to thank you so much for coming on and giving us a few minutes um, uh, and, and talking about your career and your music and whatnot. But uh, if people want to check out what's going on with George and the Destroyers, where, where can they go? Probably to the local post office and look on, a, uh, on the wall there. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's probably Back to the roots. Got it. Yeah, right, right. Uh, ten, 10 most unwanted. George Thurgood <laughs> leads the list. <laughs> a, a fugitive from injustice. Now, uh, we have a, we have a Thurgood.com and all that stuff, just, just like every other businessman. That's awesome. George, George last question. Um, when uh, when you're not doing doing music and not and not touring, what what's something people wouldn't know about you? Um, they want to know about me. Yeah, or like they wouldn't know that uh, you're you're into. Um, like you I have that. always I've always appreciated the uh, the value of a good night's sleep. I'm like a. I'm like one of those firemen. The Minutemen are always sleeping, and then ding, 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 ding. Then they go. <laughs> then they go. You know, I, I was. You know, I I never had a I never had a doctor yet talk to me and say you're getting too much rest. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. George, thank you so much for your time, man. Um, and hopefully, we can get out there and meet you at a show or or whatnot. But uh, thanks again for giving us some time. Rock and roll never sleeps; it just passes out. No. Yeah, I, th- I I think we've reached our point of um, losing audience members. They're like, okay, George, George, I'm in for George. I'm in for George. Mm-hmm. Um, the mic guy is annoying. Scott's terrible. Um, what else you guys got for me? What did the, what did they call us the one time on that one thing? The the retard and the lisp or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that. That sadly caught on. Yeah. I saw T-shirts last week on that. I'm like, <laughs> like no, I'm not going to sign it. What do you mean I'm not the lisp? <laughs> it's all right. At least someone listened to it, you know. Yeah, um, yeah it's a start, you know. But we have we have um, so much coming up. Uh, a lot, a lot of really great things coming on the podcast and. We keep doing it, and like, there's always these like weird faulty points where like, oh man, we got no one lined up, and then all of a sudden, boom, we have six weeks lined up of like really great guests, and um, I hope tonight showed you that because um, if we had George fucking Thurgood, we got Mike. Uh, so Scott, did you hear the news that uh, M and M's have given up their spokes candies in their uh, advertisements? I I have not no. Yeah, you, you're where like the red and yellow one was like the main one, and, and then the sexy green one came in. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So basically, they had like this 
launch with some other Eminem colors that were female and the right side were saying they were too woke and the left side was basically saying that you're like using added female characters just to like prove share point and uh, they were like you said the green Eminem was too sexy so they literally put on Twitter you know what screw it my aunt, uh, the girl from SNL is replacing all the candy Eminem cartoon characters <laughs> First off, okay, my my first reaction, Ted, before you even go on, um, <laughs> this is how you know we are the most privileged, obnoxious, um, uh, we have everything in our hands, <laughs> no need to survive type of people. Um, we, listen, like... I hear I hear the podcast, um, which by the way, Rogan's podcast with I think it said Darth. Uh, um, I forget his name, but he he put a podcast out about the the cobalt mining in the Congo, making electric batteries. This is how you know, like our lives are just stupid. Like this, these are the things that people are caring about. We don't we don't have to worry about getting attacked by lions and tigers we don't have to worry about making fire we don't have to worry about uh providing food for our families we don't have to worry about anything that is <laughs> remotely human so these are the things that we are putting our time and effort in we are we are basically useless slugs at this point yeah this is the most important thing and it was so outrageous like you said m&ms had to replace them in two days they got uh, Maya rudolph from snl start doing commercials so that's all on halt so i was kind of figuring scott who do you think as a cartoon advertisement <clears throat> you could step in and be a better spokesman for i have a list of some examples here I'm kind of curious we'll spitball both of us whether right. we feel we can step into there and be a better salesperson or no nah, they're the kings and queens of advertisement i would i would also say while we're doing this we should we should um say a reason why we think this spokesperson has to be canceled you know (laughs) like you know m&ms are one's too sexy one's too yellow what what was wrong with the yellow and red ones by the way i mean they didn't say it's just like the extension of other characters where they're kind of saying oh you're trying to push an agenda or you're you're kind of like trying to use women's rights for your own agenda so uh, both sides the, were like this is where i up. wish a company would just come out and make commercials like yeah i'm trying to sell you m&ms i want your yeah. money to buy our product here's the non-binary m&m here it is <laughs> there's here a it little is. circle of chocolate with a coating <laughs> yeah. on it eat it it's delicious hey. it costs three dollars or two dollars whatever you want it yeah. just eat it we want your money Buy it. You want something in it? We got like eight different kinds. And no, you just want chocolate? There you go. Yeah. But, yeah. All right, Scott. First spokesperson, can we take their place? The Jolly Green Giant. All right. So right away, I'm gonna, let's start with why he's canceled. Okay. Um, right away, he's he's mocking short people. He's marking, mocking mm-hmm. little people. Not inclusive enough. Um 
you know, he he's green, um, which is only one color, so it's not representative of all the people of color and um, the, you know, uh, people of different denominations, and you know, it's not he's not very inclusive. He's a jolly green giant, and of course, you know why he's happy, Mike? Why is that? Because he's so tall. And that yeah. sends a bad message to people who are not tall. Well, Scott, let's think about it. You know what he named his son? Sprout. His tiny little kid. He's mocking the short. He's looking down on all of us. Exactly. And we got to get rid of this veggie guy. How would you yeah. um, hit that commercial on the park? So if I'm advertising for the commercial, I'm like, hey, it's time for the green giant to get out of here. Now I'm a tall guy. I'm a tall guy. I'm I'm pushing six four. Um and you know what? I'm a color that nobody wants to be. Ginger. We've been made fun of, put down. Uh we are the butt of just about every white person joke, you know. We are we are the minority in white people. People have been like, oh, at least I'm not ginger. They got no souls. Uh, we 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 burn in the sun. We don't even have the advantage of being white because we can't enjoy the sun. We can't do anything. Um, <laughs> um, so we 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 we're like the worst kind of white. We've kind of been the 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 people the, the whites that have been put down. Um, so I'm saying, when who who's advertising in ginger these days? No one. Um, so I, I feel like right there I can connect with with different people who have been put down and oppressed. Um, in that statement too, we're kind of like pushing against the other whites, right? We're trying to make white people who are not ginger seem even worse. So like we're like, oh yeah, like I'm white, but I'm ginger. Those other brown brown-haired, blonde-haired guys, you know, they're the evil ones. So we're 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 getting in a in an audience that <laughs> that that could maybe see my side and also start to see the side of other people who have been oppressed. And I'm like, "Hey, I'm the new I'm the new giant. I'm not that jolly. I'm the angry green giant. And I want to fight for your rights. Uh buy our beans." I I like it. No, yeah. I mean I mean, especially the way you're saying you're like the side thing of the whites and all right. the gingers, a speciality. Like, I'm not even starting off with like the classics, like the broccoli or corn and all. I'm probably like, nope. Scott, you got to sell, sell those pearled onions that nobody buys, the rutabagas in the bag. I don't know why we freeze it, but you're going to sell them for me. That's fine. That's fine. We're, we're also, you know why we're selling them too? Because those What's are that? the oppressed vegetables. There you go. <laughs> There you go. All do, right. Do you think you could you could step in the spokesman's shoes of the Green Giant or no? I don't think I can because um, I would just be like, I'd probably just play it like me. And I'm like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing in this field, but uh, there's a lot of broccoli here. If you like broccoli, go yeah. at it and all. It's Michael Burlew's broccoli. Can you do you want to? Get some, and I put them in the freezer and all, so you don't have to worry about again like old and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're not selling me really hard on this. You're, yeah, you're out. I, and yeah, well, I went into this knowing I wasn't getting the part. It's like my agent sent me there. I'm like, dude, I can't take that role. And they're like, no, no, you, 
It's like the open mics. You gotta do them all. You gotta do all the. <laughs> yeah. So so far, I'm I'm being okay with Orange Giant. I could be Orange Giant. Yeah. Change the whole name. It's fine. Okay. The Charmin Bears. Ooh. Charmin toilet paper bears. Yeah. They're cute. They always wiping yeah. their butts on TV. It's cool. Yeah, but why does a bear have money? I feel they had some kind of Ponzi scheme that uh, came about. Like people heard about it. Like. You see them to look cute and all, and they, you say they must be intelligent because they're talking bears, talking right. about toilet paper. They're sophisticated. But I still feel in the end they're like, you know what bears also like? Timeshares. Yeah. And they, you know, because we hibernate and we sleep anywhere. So I feel something's going to come about where it's like they, the Sherman Bears stole like millions of dollars from people. I feel like they're going to get canceled because bears – is also a code name for hairy gay men, you know, big mm. burly gay men. And they're always like in the commercials, they're always like wiping their butts and stuff, you know, and it's mm. kind of mocking the bear in the, uh, in the gay mm. community. So I think that's why they're going to cancel them and get rid of them. It's like, you think that's what we do in the clubs? Is that right. it? Is that exactly. what we're good for? Wiping exactly. Our butt? Yeah. We're hairy, like a bear. Like mm-hmm. that's not fair. It's not funny. Yeah. See, I would easily win this this commercial because i would just be like i would just bring the cameras downstairs and be like this is how much i love Charmin. this is my stockpile of Charmin right here oh i didn't want i i'm selling it now because i got enough but i want you people to realize the value of what i got down here and no you should be like me you should explain to the audience that, that why you, or you know if they didn't listen to the last episode they yeah, don't know the what last- you're talking about yeah, so the last episode we discussed. Um, um, my dad, is, um, through my brother, is hooking me up with toilet paper, so they're <laughs> good. But it's not like the regular. The, usually they gave me the rolls, but my dad told me how since my brother works for businesses, he gets the industrial yes. big, as Scott puts it, cheese wheel rolls of yes. toilet paper. The on ones there. you see in office buildings, corporate buildings, schools. Uh, yes. Yeah, yep. So. We're basically going to install that, and I got like four cases full of them. So we, I think we calculated to seven hundred twenty rolls of toilet paper in those cases, yeah. something like that. Any any update? Have they been installed yet? Or I can't wait no, for that day. Uh, Dad hasn't come around. I still got the other ones. If you recall from the last episode, I talked about the rolls that uh, the cat scratched up and yes. so forth and all. Yeah. They've been working fine. For the record, I won't put it out for company. You don't get the cat scratch toilet paper, but it works fine for the individuals in the household and knows paper's paper. Interesting, because I, I imagine you wiping and there's just holes, random holes that you, you got to be careful about, you know, getting on you, your finger. You just got to roll it up until you got like a big stack right there. I mean, gotcha. it's a wasteful a little bit. Yeah, but still useful. It's still... A roll of toilet paper I do not have to buy 10 years down the road. I, I still cannot wait to see this industrial toilet paper on your normal, like, house bathroom. I'm excited mm. to see this. It, it should be fun for everybody, Scott. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, Scott, let's do an advertisement that's been on the Verbal Shenanigans podcast. Can we replace the Kool-Aid man? 
All right. Let's start with why the Kool-Aid man would be canceled. I'm saying because he's um, he's borderline creepy. He's busting into people's houses. He's um, he has no boundaries. Um, you know, uh, home security is a is a touchy topic now with like guns and you know people with self defense. You don't want you don't want a big red man busting down your door and then he gets shot eight times and he was just a Kool Aid man, you know. Mm-hmm. So they don't want they don't want someone who would scare someone into you know drinking Kool Aid. So that's why I think he would be canceled. I feel he's got a little like creepy side with like some like and I know he's got a big lustrous voice but i feel like when he's off camera like he he like whispers in uh girl's ears oh yeah yeah, you yeah, know, yeah just yeah. that's how he would get canceled yeah 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 <laughs> all right scott all right could we replace the kool-aid man um could we sell kool-aid i'm trying to think of an angle where i would be able to sell kool-aid i haven't had kool-aid in <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Twenty has to be single years? digits for yeah, me. I don't know. Easily, um, like that's a thing. Like it's a popular drink, but you don't randomly go over to somebody's house and they're like, "Yo, I got a big picture of Kool Aids in the yeah, fridge." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one, no one's like, "Hey, man, you want a beer? You want a water? Or soda? You want some Kool Aid?" Like <laughs> right away, you'd be I like, think huh? "I would accept it just on principle." Yeah. Someone- if you're offering it to me, it's got to be good. We should drink Kool-Aid the next podcast and just kind of reminisce and maybe maybe have some ecto-cooler or something, too. Oh, I'm down. Yeah. I am down for that. Um, can I replace the Kool-Aid man? Um, other than being a big red savage, like the you know the red giant, I don't find too many connections to the Kool-Aid. I, I can't sell the product. I haven't had it much. So I'm not feeling on this one that I could... Uh, replace the Kool-Aid man. Steve, I went in for that audition. Mm-hmm. I'm playing the opposite of the Kool-Aid man. Oh. I, I'm going to be the calm one and all. Like, somebody's like, man, I could really go for some Kool-Aid. And you just hear a gentle knock on the door. Kool-Aid man. Oh. May I come in? <laughs> and I, you know, gently open it. I have a big old tray with a picture of Kool-Aid on it. And I, I just inform people. This is the new Kool-Aid. We, I like it. We come to you when you're ready. We do not bust down walls. Gentle. We are, yes, we are here to support you. What I mean, we don't want the neighbors yelling, hearing destruction and yeah. calling the cops about the Kool-Aid man going through walls. No. Now, We're also, the polite door-to-door Kool-Aid man. How pissed would you be if the Kool-Aid man blew through your foundation? <laughs> And then you got you got the Kool Aid, and you're like, "Yeah, that was good." And he just leaves through the giant gaping hole that he yeah. blew. That's gonna cost Kool-Aid, you, man. I could have paid forty nine cents yeah. at my Kroger. Yeah. I didn't need you to do this for me. Yeah, like like that's gonna cost you like maybe eighty thousand dollars to to fix the foundation of the house. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, um, I think you you're you're onto something with a gentle Kool Aid man. We're we're just trying to give it to you. Oh 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 no! Oh please! Yeah, oh please! <laughs> <laughs> All right, you you got that one. I I don't have that one. Okay. Um, how about Chuck E. Cheese? Oh God, are those still open? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're still out there. There's one in our city. I've never been to it. I have no desire to go to it. You probably uh, shouldn't go to it. <laughs> <laughs> Babe, it's safe now. You know yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, Dropping into the ball pit of Chuck E. Cheese, baby. If, if you're going to Chuck E. Cheese, there's a good chance I don't have a co-host the next week because um, <laughs> you're getting you're getting cuffed up and, and you're out of there, man. Scott, the cops won't let me out so we can do the Kool-Aid episode. I'm <laughs> sorry. Um, let me tell you, I have some um, Chuck E. Cheese background. Um, not myself, oh. but my best friend, um, he worked in a Chuck E. Cheese for years. Like, like not just a high school job. He was working there like <laughs> through college, and he met his current wife. He was the, the pizza chef at Chuck E. Cheese. Um, and all I know is that everyone at that Chuck E. Cheese was just having sex with one another. They wow. were, it was just, yeah, absolutely. Like, it was like, I would be like, who are you with? He'd be like, oh, you know, Danielle. I'm like, who's Danielle? Oh, she works at Chuck's. I'm like, what? And he's like, and the next weekend, who are you with? Oh, Jessica. Uh, yeah, she works at Chuck's. Like, he would just, and, and, they they would take turns wearing the rat outfit, like and go walk around. Like this this was a this was a very sexy Chuck E. Cheese down in um, Edison, New Jersey. So they put the pineapple on the pizza, if you know mm. what I mean. Yes. Um, now, why would Chucky get canceled? Maybe because of that. Maybe because that's the word culture he created yeah. somehow. Um, maybe it came from the top. Maybe it wasn't just mm. just some horny teenagers. Maybe it was um, it was them. It was, it was from Chucky. You know, like hey, we're a good company. You work for me. You could do whatever you want. There's moral clauses in our yeah. bad pizza and environment. But to your question, yes, I could replace Chuck E. Cheese. Um, I would just be, you know, we got a new band. We're going to do some new ditties. Um, the robot band's been replaced. Um, we're going to replace the robot band with musical legends. Um, oh. My drummer's going to be Robot Taylor Hawkins. My uh, mm. my bass player could be John Enwistle from The Who. Hendrix is my guitar player. Lennon, Lennon's my backup singer. Um, we're changing it, so we're going to get adults in there. Um, not like you know, not like you when you were going to say you're going to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, yeah. I was going to go there tomorrow, and I'm uh, like, Scott made it. And what's what's big right now? Like people love those like um, yestercades and barcade in New Jersey, like adult places where they go play old video games. We're gonna fill it with old video games. We're gonna have the Legend Band. Uh, you know, every once in a while we'll change the robot head. Hey, it's Kurt Cobain on stage. Oh, hey, it's Freddie Mercury. I mean, we're bringing the legends here. Um, I'm gonna change it. Chuck E. Cheese is no longer a kids' establishment. It's like a a hip. The bar for for young people who want to hear good music and play video games. I mean, I like your idea because I was like, if I had to ask why he would get canceled, I, I would say more in the line he would get fired because he's got the '90s look. Like he seems like the commercials. He comes out on a skateboard and he's got the hat and yeah, all. Well, that. let's like, also say he's, you know, he's a rat in a kitchen. Yeah, yeah, same <laughs> ratatouille right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, a uh, couple more we're going to try to do here. I kind of like that. Like, if I I would go to a robotic band bar that played the hits, and they all looked like 
the 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 people that we want to see. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we just came up with another million dollar idea. That's so it. Yep. Please do not steal our million dollar idea. Let us collect our millions, and then we'll allow you to do like the offshoots or whatever. We'll give you a license to create one in your town. Oh, God, okay? that's brilliant! Robot, robotic John Lennon. Come on, my God! How about the Michelin Man, Scott? Oh well, he's actually not cancelable because he's a little out of shape. Um, mm-hmm. He, well, you know what? He is white, though. He is very white. Um, but see, I don't think he's fat. No. I think he's roided. My opinion. Ooh, you think he's ripped? Yeah, I mean, like, look at I me. Mean, I know it's tires around, but it's not like big old tires at the stomach. And no, he's he's a lean Michelin man. So I think he's like doping up and all. I, I see some rage in him where he mm. just like slaps some person who who says something about your tires are worn or something so like that. So he could. Okay, all right. To that point, I can see what you mean. To that point, he's body shaming. He's body mm-hmm. shaming. He's too big. He's too muscular. He's, he's putting out a uh, physical appearance that is unachievable by the average person. Um, you know, and we can't have that. We, we need something more um for everybody um he's also promoting tires you know like we don't want everyone needs tires not just jacked jacked white men <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah he's he can get canceled i agree okay can i replace him hmm. that might be a tough one to replace yeah yeah how do i how does scott <laughs> brennan uh, replace a tire salesman that is white and something and, we you think about every night. Yeah, yeah. Before I go to bed, I'm like, all right, get the notebook out. No, nothing tonight, babe. Will you go to sleep? No, I'm gonna be the Michelin Man one day. I just gotta figure out how. Yeah, is the Michelin Man still like active? I haven't seen him in a long time. I still see him on like billboards for like michelin tire places okay i mean i don't see him in commercials but they still use the ip if you will yeah um i will go with i can't replace the michelin man could could you see any angle where you could sell some tires Hmm. i've been trying to think of like would a michelin woman change anybody's ideas on life I mean, I still don't see how that's going to be you replacing them, but I... <laughs> My wife. Oh, okay, okay. Keep it in the family, okay? Right. Like, she goes in and she's like, you know, we got big tires, we got small tires, we got any... We'll, we'll, if you got a unicycle, we got a tire for that. You got uh, one of those Hot Wheels, we got a tire for that. Like, just bring in the inclusiveness. We're like, anything that could have a tire... We can replace it. If you want a tire on your submarine, we will figure it out. We also support people in any attire. Ooh. Oh. Look at that. Get the, the transgender community involved exactly. in that situation. Anybody. Look at us. We're, we're bringing the world together, Scott. Yeah. All because we got rid of that roided Michelin man. And maybe maybe, maybe not woman either. Maybe just Michelin. A a non-binary no, he has no identity. He's just or Michelin. They, they just have, they're just Michelin. That's it. Okay. All right. Final one we're going to do tonight, Scott. Okay. We're going to do the Flintstones 
And your choices are either to replace them for Fruity Pebbles or replace them for their 1961 ad of Winston cigarettes. Hmm. All right. Well, the Flintstones, let's start with one, could get canceled pretty easily, right? They got those hot babes walking around barefoot and making making dinner, making brontosaurus ribs for them while they go to work. That's that's yeah. not that's not what happens today, you know? Like this is a, a lot of two lot work of rage with Fred. Yeah, two work I mean, household. Yeah, Fred was an animal. <laughs> you know, you're yeah, telling me you he hear him as he bangs on the door. Well, yeah, like he's not gonna go. Thank you for opening the door. He's he's gonna try something, and you yeah, know, that's not for kids. Yeah, yeah he, he might have a little domestic violence thing going on over there. Who knows? Um, I mean, the guy's got a pet dinosaur. He's a savage. Um, and you know they're also advertising towards just meat eaters. We gotta we gotta include our our vegan friends and and, and tell them that that's okay and everything. So yeah, Flintstones gotta go. They're 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 not cool anymore. Could I replace them and sell cigarettes or vitamins or fruity pebbles? You could sell either one you want. You're going. They what got about two products? What about Flintstone vitamins? That's that's still, oh. that's still big. Oh, look at you. Yeah. You got the vitamin game? I don't know. I don't know if I have the vitamin game, but I could I I I think I could step in and be like uh, we do we kind of do cancel culture. We go right into it like <laughs> this isn't a thing of the past. We're moving forward. You know, mm. like we cancel the the Flintstones cuz they're in the past, you know, they're Stone Age. These are new vitamins who don't look like men or women or 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 dinosaurs. We're not eating animals. They all look like plants. Just oh. they look they look like asparagus and they look like broccoli. <laughs> and there's zero reason for anyone to ever be upset ever again. Our vitamins bring the world together. That's a good one, Scott. Now, I cannot replace them for selling cigarettes. But I got a new angle. I just say, forget about cancel culture. And the new Winston cigarette commercials are all the old school cigarette advertisements. I'm talking about Joe Cool. I'm talking about the Skull Bandit. Yeah. I'm talking about the Marlboro Man. Bring them all back. Like, they're literally all together in unison for this one brand. And, like, everybody's minds would be blown by this. The, yeah. Like, everybody's talking about, but what about the cancer? Shut up. This is awesome. I like it. I like it. You're just bringing, you're bringing in all the villains. You're bringing in, like, yeah. you're bringing in. My a- own suicide squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I like that. Like, because villains are cool now, too. So, like, yeah. like, people are more interested in the villain movies than they are the even the superhero movies these days. When you watch wrestling, what do you want in the the heel? You want the cool heel, and that's what we got. I'm bringing you a a gang of cool heels together. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. All right, you you can take that one. You can take the Flintstones. Um, I feel like we're onto something here. You know, like we're not offending anyone. We're uh, we're selling product left and right. We 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 have re revitalized all these brands. If anyone wants to hire us, please email us at verbalshenaniganspodcast at gmail.com. And don't steal the, the pizza thing that we just... Yeah, and don't, don't, don't give this offer to the other Verbal Shenanigans podcast. 
No, 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 no. Nope. Those guys don't deserve it. No, yep. no. Yeah. But anyway, it is time to go. Mike, uh, anything to promote before we roll on out of here? Uh, I'm going to promote uh, the SNL Nerds podcast with John Trumbull and oh, Darren Don't Patterson. promote them. Cancel them. Cancel those guys. I, I, well, I already started, so I got to finish, Scott. Sorry. All right. All right. But, all right. Uh, they do a weekly podcast where they'll either do a full review of the last episode of the uh, SNL Saturday Night Live show, or if they're off for the week, they do a movie review from the cast members of the show. Uh, really fun, entertaining. These guys know their history with SNL. They have guests on from time to time. Good guys. Check them out. SNL Nerds Podcast. Yeah, they're okay. They're okay. No, 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 seriously, they're good guys. But um, I will quickly promote. Um, I am uh, I am jumping into the Atlantic Ocean in about three weeks. Uh, no, a little bit more than that. four weeks, February twenty fifth, um, to uh, support Special Olympics New Jersey. Um, my my cousin is a special needs uh, a person. It's hard to believe he's basically my age. Um, but he has benefited from that for a long time. And I've been doing this for about 10 years, um, maybe more. Mike participated with me a long time ago, um, raising money. Our our team is over $2,000 already. Our goal is to hit $5,000. I think we'll hit it. But uh, please donate. Uh, I'll put the page up on our Twitter and Facebook Um but the team is Frozen Clovers. If you just type in Frozen Clovers, Seaside Heights, uh, it's a great cause. It is apparently the single uh, biggest uh, one-day fundraiser on the East Coast um, for any charity organization. So it's a great time. And also, if you want to join the team, come on down. Um, we'll jump in the ocean together. So it is the Frozen Clovers. Um, and again, that is for Special Olympics New Jersey, Polar Plunge, February 25th. Other than that, guys, life is funny. Uh, laugh at it. Uh, keep the wind at your back. And if you don't like pizza, order the Green Day and Ham at our pizza place. Listening to verbal shenanigans.